Uh, would you open God's precious holy word to 2 Kings chapter 2? This part of 2 Kings deals with the miracles of Elisha. The story of the people of God is told in this section by the miracles that come from the hand of Elisha. There are 17 of them. And we'll, God willing, we look at three of them tonight. So we tell the story of what's happening in, in the nation, uh, most especially the northern kingdom, with the people of God by the ministry of Elisha, which is identified by these miracles. You will recall that when Elijah was caught up in a whirlwind, prior to that, Elisha had asked for a double portion of the spirit that Elijah had. Elijah responded, if you see me, Elijah tried to privately make his exit, but it didn't happen that way. And Elijah said to Elisha, if you see me leave, what you've asked for will be granted. And so he saw it. Thus it was granted to Elisha. Now let's put the Let's put the setting in its perspective. Ahab had been the king for so long. His son is no better. The northern kingdom has all but uh, deserted their worship of Yahweh, the God of their fathers. Elijah, the powerful prophet, confronted the sin of the king and thus the sin of the nation, had won a great victory over the prophets of Baal, and in his departure, Elisha cried out, yonder goes the chariots and the horsemen of Israel. He's the power. He's more powerful than all of our armies, whatever. That's the power of Israel leaving us in that whirlwind. So now Elisha is left. It is still overwhelmingly a sinful nation. They, for, for the just for, except for a few thousand people, they have, in a wholesale fashion, fashion committed themselves religiously to Baal, and it had permeated the culture of uh, Israel. And so it's just something of the everyday life, the awful things that came out of worship to Baal. It, it, becomes, it becomes just something that affects the everyday life and culture of Israel. So it's still an awful nation, except for a few thousand. God had his prophet there, Elijah, and now he has Elisha. The message of God continues, and of course, God confirms 
the ministry and message coming from Elisha through these many miracles. And so the first three we look at tonight as we study the miracles of Elisha for the next uh, several weeks. My clicker ain't a clicking. Huh. All right. First passage, the first miracle, passage through Jordan. Okay. Elijah would go across the Jordan and from there he would depart. Elisha was with him. He took his mantle, Elijah did, and struck the water. And the water parted and they went across on dry ground. As he left, Elijah's mantle fell to Elisha. So he had the promise that obviously God had fulfilled in allowing him to see the departure of Elijah, that he would have a double portion of the spirit and he would need it. And visually it seems, or visibly, uh, that God was in that because now the mantle that had just been used in the miracle that Elijah performed to go across on dry ground is in the hands and on the person of Elisha. His first miracle then is to cross the Jordan and go back on dry ground. Let's look at it beginning in verse 13, chapter 2, 2 Kings. He picked up Elijah's mantle that had fallen off him. Now, this is not an object of idolatry. This is an object of practical use that God will work through. And he returned and stood on the bank of the Jordan. So this is where he is. And in this passage, we're carefully told where Elisha is from one place to the next. And that has meaning to his ministry. He took Elijah's mantle that had fallen off him and he struck the water and said, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And he too struck the water and it divided on this side and on that side and Elisha crossed. And the disciples of the prophets who were in Jericho saw him from a distance and they said, Elijah's spirit has rested on Elisha. And they came toward him and prostrated themselves before him to the ground. And they said to him, behold now, there are with your servants 50 able men. Let them go now and seek your master. Perhaps a wind from Yahweh has carried him off and thrown him on one of the mountains or in one of the valleys. And he said, you shall not send. And they urged him until he was ashamed. And he said, okay, go ahead, send them. And they sent 50 men and they searched for three days, but did not find him. Now this is interesting. Well, it's all, what's not interesting? We're, we, we have the story of Enoch, for example. And it is further, it's in Genesis. It's a pre-flood world thing. And it's further explained in Hebrews. And if you put the two 
accounts of the story of Enoch together. Enoch, you know, the Bible says he was not for God took him. Now he was, he was raptured in the sin, in a sense, taken up and did not have to go through the flood. Thoughtful scholars have said he was a type of the rapture. He was raptured away before judgment came on the world. And then it says, when you compare both Hebrews and Hebrews 11 with what's said in Genesis, it says, and he was not for God took him. It also, it also tells, it indicates that they searched for him and they couldn't find him. So it was a, it was a miraculous seizing of Enoch. God seized him and took him away. And nobody could find it. They even went looking for him. We're going to find this guy somewhere. They couldn't find him. Same thing here. Now, the only one that was right there when he left was Elisha. That's why Elisha said, don't worry about going and look for him. You're not going to find him. These guys, from a distance, apparently the whirlwind that carried him up must have been like a tornado or something. And you know how tornadoes can be. They can pluck people up and sling them miles away. And I'm not sure that many people ever survived that. But anyway, they, they were thinking, we need to get out here and find Elijah. They were having a difficult time. So Elisha performs this miracle in their presence. This miracle is something that God would use to comfort the young prophets, the school of the prophets. They were upset. They had lost their master, Elijah. Elisha came back alone, but the comforting thing, number one was he was in possession of Elijah's mantle. Number two, he could perform the same miracle with it that Elijah performed. This is, this is something, this is, a, this is a miracle that God uses to confirm the continuation of the ministry that was ongoing during the time of Elijah. Now, this is a ministry in a, in a dark part of the world, the northern kingdom of Israel. Leadership was sinful to say the least. They were, they were traitors to the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. They were idolaters. They worshiped Baal and all of the Baals, all of Baalim. They were into the fertility cult and all of the uh, horrific behavior that goes with it. It had become entrenched. We are now, we are now, I have to think about how many kings, we're what, four or five generations into this. This is something that's deeply entrenched in the darkened minds of the Israelites, except for the few that God had mentioned. Those, what, 7,000 that still hadn't bowed their knees 
uh, to Baal. You have the, the school of the prophets, these young prophets who are ready to go out and uh, carry forth the message of God to an evil nation. So there was strength and comfort in this miracle of Elisha so that the next generation of believers here could be strengthened and know that indeed God is God and he's not going to stop continuing delivering the message that the people so desperately needed. And this, you know, this goes on. Hosea, for example, was one of the final prophets, as was Amos. One of the final, the, the final, they were among the final prophets to the northern kingdom of Israel. And finally, their sin had reached such a stage and the hardness of their hearts had reached such a level that God handed them over to the Assyrians and they failed from, from just, it took about 40 or 50 years from them to fall from the pinnacle of world power that they enjoyed with the greatest military, the greatest economy, uh, the most stable land, a stable administration under Jeroboam II, who was king for 40 years. And then confusion sets in and six men became king in a period of 20 years. They had no stability at all in leadership. The kings that came forward didn't care for the people. Their policies were anti-God and they continued chasing after idolatry and they had been enriched and prosperous in the time of Jeroboam. They had, uh, you know, they had, they lived in ivory towers and and they rested on ivory couches and they had wealth and, and uh, a, lot of, a lot of goods and services that put them above everything. And Jeroboam had built, Jeroboam II had built this, the mightiest military in his time. But it only took about 40 years or so for the greatest nation in the world to collapse completely and become enslaved by the cruel Assyrians. So now from there we go back, we understand where they're headed. We understand what the, what the danger is that they're facing uh, as the northern kingdom. So we go back to this time and there is still a prophet there. And there is still a school of the prophets and another generation who will serve Yahweh. And this miracle is something that would have been a miracle of help and strength to them for their generation. That's the first miracle. The second miracle is the miracle of healed waters. That's in verses 18 through 22. They returned to him when he was staying in Jericho. Now, so he's crossed the Jordan. He's gone to Jericho. Jericho was the first place, the first people who resisted and stood against Yahweh and his people when Joshua went across with the people back into the land of Canaan. And so there was, there was a twofold curse. And one of the, one of the curses fell on Achan. You may remember him. He, 
he, he kept some stuff that he wasn't supposed to keep. He took some of the spoils that were cursed by God. And that curse came through his family to the whole nation. And Joshua says something's wrong. Somebody has taken something that he's not supposed to have. Well, that curse was lifted and it cost Achan and his family his life, their lives. That curse, but the second curse was after they burned the city and leveled it. The second curse was you shall not rebuild this city. Guess who rebuilt the city? Ahab, I'm sorry, Jeroboam. Jeroboam, no, Ahab rebuilt it. And it was like in the face of Yahweh. And they, it was a city that was again, because of Ahab and, and his household, it was, and the kings before him as well. It was a thing that was dedicated to idolatry. Now, this city having been rebuilt is obviously an evil place. It's under a curse, but he goes to Jericho, obviously part of his ministry to this accursed place. And he said to them, did I not say to you, you shall not go? And the people of the city said to Elisha, behold, the city is a good place to live in as my Lord sees, but the water's bad and the ground is barren. The, the, the Hebrew word there means, uh, it's, uh, shall I, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's useless. It's fruitless. And in a Hebraism, it talks how it, it, it makes things bereaved because it seems to produce, but then it doesn't. And what Hebrew scholars say is that that word lends to the, to the more expanded uh, definition that what came forth from the land, the land was good, but the water was bad and the water would produce bad meat from animals and bad fruit. And it caused people to die. And so the, the overall uh, conclusion is that it's a fruitless place. It's a nice place. It's a pretty place. It's a good place. But the water's bad. Now, apparently, what, what we see here is men from Jericho made the first move to come to Elisha and to say to him, we need help. So what will be the response to such a request? He said, take me to a new jug, a new, a new jug and put a jug that's just been made, a new one, and put salt in it. And they took it to him. And he went out to the source of the water and he threw salt there. And he said, so has Yahweh said, I have cured these waters. There will no longer be death and bereavement from there. Yahweh removes the curse that he placed on the place. Salt is, um, it illustrates purification, preservation. Um, so it was, it, was, it was an illustration that he made 
And it had to come from something that had never been used before because this was going to be a work of Yahweh. This was going to be a new thing. There was going to be a new beginning in Jericho because when the water gets good and purified and it is no longer bad water, now whatever grows in Jericho will be good and will produce fruit. But we're careful to note here uh, Elisha is careful to note, this is from Yahweh. This is not me. This is Yahweh. And Yahweh has said, now we're in a land replete with Baal worship. And Baal never won a fight against Yahweh. Never did. So he's careful to bring up the name of Yahweh again. And Yahweh said, I have cured these waters. Yahweh cured the waters. Verse 22. And the water became cured to this day according to the word of Elisha that he spoke. So now Elisha is seen as bringing forth the word of God. The word of God that purifies and brings life and brings strength. The word of God that comes from a God that is, willing to, that is willing to redeem people from the curse of death. If they will but seek after him. And that's what happens here. They came seeking Yahweh through his prophet. And Yahweh responded in this second miracle of uh, Elisha. And then finally tonight, the third miracle in verses 23 through 25 the two avenging she-bears, this is my favorite one of the three. And he went up from there to Bethel. Okay, let's talk about this now. I was getting Jeroboam and Ahab confused. Jeroboam, Bethel is the house of God. That's what the word means. It's in Genesis 12. It was called something else and Yahweh affirmed and established his call to Abram. I will make of you a great nation. All families of the earth through you will be blessed. And Yahweh, the Bible says in Genesis 12, uh, Abram called upon the name of the Lord, called upon the name of Yahweh. And then he built an altar there. And he renamed the place Bethel, house of God. Now it was sometime later when Jacob was running from Esau that he got tired and laid down and went to sleep camping out at Bethel. And there he had his dream of the ladder that went to heaven and all that. Bethel was a place where prophets had preached and wonderful things had happened through time. And so... It would be a, every time someone would go to Bethel back in the day, it would be a reminder of the faithfulness of God and the power of God. And it would be a reminder of the importance of Yahweh to the people of Israel. So what does Jerobo, the first Jeroboam, Early in their history, Northern King. What does he do? 
He builds an idol to a golden calf there. And he makes it an altar of idolatry to, to pervert the, the beautiful place that had been so special to the people of God. Now, it stayed that way all the way through all of that time. So it's an evil place now. What used to be a, a wonderful and beautiful place of worship had become a place of immorality and gross idolatry. And all of the evil that attended to it. So he's gone to Jericho where there was a curse. He's carrying the message of God. Now he goes to Bethel. And here he is the prophet of God going into a place where though once it was so beautifully dedicated to God has been turned over to immorality and idolatry. And it is not what it was when it first was named Bethel. So he's at Bethel and he's going up the road and some insignificant youths came out of the city and jeered him and said to him, go away, baldy, go away, baldy. Huh. Let me show you what I can do. Well, what he did was obviously become incensed. Who likes to be insulted if you're bald headed? Some men use all of their testosterone to grow hair. I'll stop there. Go away, baldy. Go away, baldy. Apparently, Elisha didn't like being called baldy. Insignificant youths. Now, let me fast forward just a moment in time to Hosea, one of the last of the prophets to the northern kingdom. Things have gotten so bad in his prophecy. Hosea said that uh, there was no knowledge of God in the land. That's what he said. Nobody knew God. They were people from the loins of Abraham and they didn't know God. And the Bible talks about all of the evil that they did through Hosea. Hosea speaks about and at the conclusion of all of the evil, and it just sort of describes the society in which we live today, all that they had done to insult Yahweh, at the end of it, it says, and they break out and blood touches blood. The picture is of a population in chaos and out of control where they can freely riot and kill people and nobody cares how they get away with it. They break out and blood toucheth blood. Well, the beginning of it is seen here. Why? It's because the leadership the kings of the northern kingdom had forsaken the true and living God. And now the people felt free 
to join in with the culture of the Baal worship, which was immoral and horrible, perverted. And it becomes part of their lifestyle. I mean, it's just something that nobody really is ashamed of anymore. It just becomes part of who they are in their culture. It worsens and worsens through the generations until finally Hosea comes along and said, God has a controversy with you. He's going to divorce you. That's what Hosea said to Israel. And they, they go to court and all this preaching of Hosea was God's case against his wife, Israel. And at the end of it was, they had become completely out of control. Here is a, probably a precursor to what they finally become, insignificant youths, young people who are out of control. And so the cool thing to do is to make fun of the man of God. Well, how'd that work out for you? He turned around, saw them. He cursed them in the name of Yahweh. (laughs) And two she-bears came out of the forest and tore apart 42 boys of them. (laughs) So they were ill. These bears. And... Baldy walked through it unharmed. But these delinquent youths who were already laying a foundation of rebellion that would go unchecked until finally the nation collapsed. The precursor of that is here and part of their agenda was to curse the people of God, the man of God. I think the word of God is the whole thing. He cursed them in the name of Yahweh. Two she-bears out of the forest and tore apart 42 boys of them. That's just awful. Now, okay, Probably a broken-hearted Elisha looks at the carnage of young people. Torn up. I have seen pictures and YouTubes of people who were killed in bear attacks. It's horrible. I can't imagine dying that way. This prophet, I'm sure, got the attention of Bethel. And from that, he could, he could easily preach to them with his message and tell them, can you see where this idolatry and this wicked way of life is leading you? You're going to lose your lives. You're going to lose the lives of your children. And he walks away from there. Then he went from there to Mount Carmel. Now, what he had done in these three miracles had no doubt drained him spiritually. May I say to you, to be drained spiritually 
is far worse than to be drained physically. There's no comparison. To be absolutely drained spiritually. And it happens. It happened to Elijah. It has happened to Elisha, I believe, here. And he needs strength. And probably the greatest place for strength and worship in that day was to go back where Elijah defeated those prophets of Baal, Carmel. So he goes to Carmel. Now it doesn't say anything about that other than he went there. And to me, he goes there probably for a little R&R and to be refurbished and refreshed in his ministry and to be reminded of the power of God there at the place where God scored such a great victory. And from there, he returned to Samaria. That's the capital city of the Northern Kingdom. That's where the worst pocket of idolatry would be. That's where the evil king would live who was approving this this total reprobation of culture, flipping it upside down from the worship of Yahweh to the worship of Baal. The center, that's that's where Elijah would, would face up against Ahab. This is the place where now he's ready to continue in this ministry of carrying the message of God to an evil nation and a wicked, wicked people. We'll stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.